Catholic false doctrine. Christ-like or not? The Catholic Church doctrine. We are not saved by faith alone, works are necessary the seven sacraments, purgatory, praying for the dead, Mariology, praying to the Mother of God, deuterocanonical books, extra books not included in the Holy Bible. Before we begin examining our Holy Scriptures to understand the hypocrisy of declaring works are necessary for salvation, the false security of purgatory and pagan concept of paying for the dead, the exaltation of Mary to Christ-like status, and justifying it all by adding seven extra books to the Bible, let me say this. I was given up for adoption at three months of age and adopted by a wonderful Irish Catholic couple, George Albert and Mary Teresa. My father was extremely devout and received the honor of Grand Knight in the Knights of Columbus, the highest attainment. We never missed Mass, I made my first communion, my confirmation and went to a Catholic high school. I am so grateful for being taught about Jesus at such an early age. It was a positive influence in my life along with my mom and dad's lifestyle that seemed to emulate it, during the tumultuous late 60s and early 70s. Though it had no impact on me concerning the desires of the flesh and doing whatever I wanted, it did teach me a basic truth between right and wrong. I've always wanted to be a good person and not hurt anybody and so I have to believe that in some way, that was imparted to me. So, for that I am grateful. But after becoming a true believer according to the enlightenment of Jesus Christ's doctrines, I was a little upset to realize that most of their teachings are against most scripture. I felt lied to when I realized purgatory wasn't real and faith in Christ wasn't enough for salvation. So, let's investigate what the God of heaven and his son Jesus Christ would think about this religion, according to the holy scriptures, the only true litmus test of false doctrine. Here we go. The Origins the Catholic Church claims to begin with Jesus Christ between 4 BC and 30 AD, but that's not true. They were slowly established and created over time as a mixture of the Roman state religion and Christianity. They did not adhere to Christian principles but embraced many of the pagan beliefs of the Roman Church dating back to 500 BC. With the death of Christ and courageous work of the Apostle Paul, some in Rome began to convert to Christianity. Rome began to view Christianity as atheists who rejected the state religion which was tantamount to treason, and dealt with accordingly. To avoid persecution, many began to embrace the pagan practices of the state religion mixing Christianity in when they could. They embraced shades of the departed and praying for the dead, along with other Greek myths, but they were only getting started. By 300 AD, this religion looked nothing like Christianity. While true Christians were being tortured and killed, these priests were quickly becoming the new state religion of Rome. They became an elite class in Rome and the new faith they were constructing opposed most scripture. To alleviate this issue, they conveniently added seven new books to the Catholic Bible. The Christian Church of the day did not develop these beliefs and considered them false teachings, not God-inspired. The idea of purgatory has roots that date back into antiquity, a sort of proto-purgatory called the Celestial Hades appearing in the writings of Plato and Heraclides Ponticus along with many other pagan writers. It was an intermediate place where souls spent an undetermined amount of time after death. Heraclides of Pontus thought it was in the Milky Way, others situated it between the moon and the earth, while others thought it to be located between the sphere of fixed stars and the earth. They were pagan writers, and these are pagan concepts. Medieval Chinese Buddhists also practiced praying for the dead. Much of the Catholic beliefs originate from the pagan Church of Rome which they were founded upon. Immediately, this new state religion of Rome began hunting down true Christ followers and killing them. Wars began erupting continually throughout Europe between this new Catholic religion and Christians. In 1517, Martin Luther made the separation between Catholics and Christians by calling their beliefs an apostasy, including their practice of giving indulgences. An indulgence was a distinctive feature of the penitential system of both the Western medieval and Roman Catholic Church. 
It granted full or partial remission of the punishment of sin. It began in the 11th and 12th centuries as purgatory was taking hold. Popes became activist leaders of reforming the Church, they would change the Church's beliefs at will and with no scriptural authority. The Council of Trent denied these beliefs as ungodly, and against Scripture. Luther's main point though, was that salvation was by faith alone, doing away with the sacraments. This was the defining moment where the Catholics' cloak of Christianity they had been hiding behind, was pulled off, and they were finally seen for what they were. A pagan-inspired apostasy hell-bent on the destruction and elimination of true believers of the teachings of Christ. From this point on, they were the Catholic Church, and Christians became known as Protestants. The wars in Europe escalated and in the next 100 years, between 6 and 17 million people died as Catholics began to forcibly push their rule, empowered by the state to eliminate and squelch any Christian uprising. They made the persecution against the Church by Saul of Tarsus in the Book of Acts seem like nothing. The Catholic Church is always ready to mold their beliefs into the beliefs of the current times as they did in their conception at Rome. Today we see it continue in 2020, as the Pope declares that God accepts the lifestyle of sodomites, and is happy to unite them in matrimony. It will never stop. It's who they are. The Roman Catholic Church are not a godly organization founded on the Gospel of Jesus Christ. They have unfortunately become an opportunistic ungodly bunch of heretics that are perverting the faith and giving people false hope according to true Scripture, though I believe they are sincerely pious people at heart. This is not the way of salvation, and advertently, does not lead to heaven. It leads to separation with God, in this life and in the next. Catholic Beliefs As a strong Catholic believer for the first 26 years of my life, from a home of extremely strong practicing Catholic parents who date their family faith back to Ireland, I was shocked to discover what the Bible had to say about many of their beliefs, when I gave my life to Christ and became born again. I felt lied to for all of those years, like when a child finds out there really is no Santa Claus after believing in Him for their whole life. The false hopes that I was given through confession, saying a couple of our fathers and Hail Marys, made me fear for all of those that continue in that. I was on my way to hell, as represented by my actions and false understandings of the Bible. So, let's look at a few of these, so-called, sacred beliefs that seem to change from time to time, and investigate their validity. Let's start with the belief that faith alone does not save a person, but it's through works, the seven sacraments. The Roman Catholic Church has seven holy sacraments that are seen as mystical channels of divine grace. Baptism is seen as sanctifying the child to join the church. They are sprinkled with holy water which is believed to remove moral uncleanness. This is a requirement for Catholic salvation. Eucharist Holy Communion A central rite of Catholic worship. During the Mass, the priest consecrates the Eucharist, which transubstantiates it into the actual body of Christ. Confirmation Confirm them in their faith. A priest lays his hands on a young teen and anoints the forehead with chrism, holy oil. It brings the inner presence of the Holy Spirit. Reconciliation. Confession slash penance. Confession is a way to receive forgiveness of sins by God. The priest assigns acts of penance, specific prayers to dissolve the sin, five Our Fathers and three Hail Marys, to be prayed at their convenience. Anointing of the sick. Extreme unction. It mystically unites their suffering with that of Christ's passion and death, crucifixion on the cross. Marriage. Reflects the mystical bond of Christ's union with the Church. I wonder how they will explain their new belief that God embraces sodomites, as a reflection of Himself and the Church. Perhaps they will contest that God is homosexual or perhaps transgender. Who knows, they're making this thing up as they go, right? Ordination. For ordained deacons, priests and bishops. It conveys a special indelible character on the soul. 
The Catholic Church also created Mariology and believe her to be the Mother of God. They teach and believe that Mary was conceived without original sin. She has attained the same status as Jesus, as they consider Christology and Mariology as inseparable and interwoven, and pray to her as they do to God with the Hail Mary prayer. They believe in the assumption of Mary's dead body into heaven. According to Catholic teaching, the dead body of Mary was taken up into heaven at the end of her earthly life, as Christ ascended into heaven after His resurrection. She is considered the Queen of Heaven. The Deuterocanonical Books. As we mentioned before, in 382 AD, the Council of Rome canonized seven books that the Catholics deemed credible. Of course, they stand in opposition to all the authentic books of the Bible, but at least they conveniently agreed with their new far-fetched beliefs. These are their names, Baruch, Judith, 1 Maccabees, 2 Maccabees, Syrac, Tobit, and Wisdom. Well, there you have it. These are some of the beliefs of the Catholic Church. They may dance around what these things mean and call them other things, but these are their beliefs. So, as we contemplate their origins and the many pagan practices they have embraced over the years, and as we look to their mystical beliefs which cannot be found in the Bible, we have to wonder, how are they considered godly? Let's take a look at what the Bible and Christ's teachings have to say about many of these practices, so we can decide for ourselves, are they godly or ungodly? If their teachings and practices agree with the Word of God, then they're godly, if they don't, then they're not. It's that simple. We are not here to agree or disagree, but to discover the truth. Does anyone remember truth? So, here goes. God's Beliefs Purgatory And it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, he 9:27. It is appointed to men that after death they shall come to judgment, to a particular judgment immediately after death, for the soul returns to God as to its judge, to be determined to its eternal state, and men shall be brought to a general judgment at the end of the world. This is the unalterable decree of God concerning man. They must die, they must be judged immediately after. It is appointed for them, and it is to be believed and seriously considered by them. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return to God who gave it, EC 12-7. Now you can see why I was so irate in 1986 when I learned this. Purgatory is a lie according to God. This is the unalterable word of God concerning men. Once to die and then the judgment. This cannot be altered, no matter what the Catholic Church says. We die, then we're judged. Sacraments. Baptism. Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, M.K. 16:16. They are told to set before the world life and death, good and evil. Tell them they are in danger, condemned and enslaved by sin. Now go tell them. If they believe the gospel, and give up themselves to be Christ's disciples, if they renounce the devil, the world, and the flesh, and be devoted to Christ, they shall be saved from the guilt and power of sin. It shall not rule them, it shall not ruin them. Baptism was appointed to be the inauguration rite by which those that embraced Christ owned Him. It is considered as an outward sign of an inward commitment. Then Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, AC 238. Sinners must be told that their case is sad and desperate but there is hope. Repent, let the sense of this horrid guilt which you have brought upon yourselves awaken in you a penitent reflection upon all your sins and sorrow for them. Repent. Change your mind, change your way. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, that is, firmly believe the doctrine of Jesus Christ, and submit to His government and make an open solemn profession of this and come under an engagement to abide by it, by submitting to baptism. Believing Jesus is the Christ, Messiah, swear allegiance to Him. Buried with Him in baptism, wherein also, 
ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who, hath raised him from the dead, Paul 2:12. Baptism is an open solemn profession of receiving Christ, dying to the old man of sin, and living to the new man of righteousness of God in Christ. Being born again. How can an infant do that? The answer is that they can. Infant baptism is blatant false doctrine. Eucharist. And he took bread, and gave thanks, and brake it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me, LK 22:19. The Lord's Supper is instituted to be a commemorative sign that by dying He delivered us. This is my body which is given for you, and it's upon that sacrifice that this is instituted. We receive it to ourselves and take benefit and comfort from it. This we do in remembrance of what He did for us, we partake of this everlasting covenant which shows our dying to self to follow Him. The shedding of Christ's blood was the atonement made for our soul. It commemorates the purchase of the covenant by His blood. If not for the blood of Christ, there would be no New Testament. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye, as oft as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as oft as ye eat this bread, and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till He come. Matthew Henry says what is eaten is called bread, though it be at the same time said to be the body of the Lord, a plain argument that the Apostle knew nothing of there, Roman Catholics, monstrous and absurd doctrine of transubstantiation. To declare that by some mystical event during Mass, the Eucharist becomes the actual body of Christ is beyond understanding when it's never mentioned in Scripture, or as Mr. Henry puts it, monstrous and absurd. That truly is absurd and simply another case of blatant false Scripture. Reconciliation. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to clean us from all unrighteousness, 1 Jn 1-9. Confession, penitent confession and acknowledgement of sin are the believer's business, and the means of his deliverance from guilt. This is the veracity, righteousness and clemency of God, to whom we make such confessions. We pray to God. God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is faithful to His covenant and word, wherein He has promised forgiveness to penitent believing confessors. God has designed that we would come through Christ, by accepting His atoning sacrifice, and are forgiven on His account. We pray to God as contrite confessors and are cleansed from sin and guilt, and in due time are delivered from the power and practice of it. And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father, which is in heaven, Mount 23-9. Matthew Henry. Constitute no man the father of your religion, that is, the founder, author, director, or governor, of it. The fathers of our flesh must be called fathers, and as such we must give them reverence, but God only must be allowed as the father of our spirits. Our religion must not be derived from, or made to depend upon, any man. God is our Father. He is all in all in our religion. Christ having taught us to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, let us call no man Father upon earth, no man, especially not on earth, for man upon earth is a sinful worm, there is not a just man upon earth, that doeth good, and sinneth not, and therefore no one is fit to be called Father. We confess our sins to God and God alone. Not to some Catholic, so-called, Father. Confirmation. The Holy Spirit, whom God hath given to them that obey, Acts 5:32. Peter and the disciples spoke these words to the disobedient Pharisees, who were convicted and would have killed them, were it not for the brilliant Gamaliel, who talked them out of it. This is spiritual truth concerning God's process of filling us with His Spirit, and like always, God makes it easy to understand. God gives the Holy Spirit to those who obey Him. It's that simple. It's not a mystical event, but a simple understanding, similar to expressing our love to God, if you love me, obey me. The great theologian Matthew Henry puts it this way, 
the giving of the Holy Spirit to obedient believers was not only to bring them to the fullness of faith, but to make them eminently useful therein, and a very strong proof of the truth of Christianity. God gave the Holy Spirit by His Son and in His name, Jan 14:26, and in answer to prayer, Jan 4:16. nay, it was Christ that sent Him from the Father, Jan 15:26, Jan 16-7, and this proves to the glory to which the Father has exalted the Son. Lastly, the giving of the Holy Spirit is to those that obey Christ, for both their assistance and their obedience, to help them to continue to obey, and as a present recompense for their obedience, a reward given for the effort made, and to make it plain evidence that it is the will of God that Christ should be obeyed. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you, Room 8 9. The Apostle Paul is trying to show the church in Rome that if they are obeying Christ, no one can condemn them. Many believers today use this teaching to justify their ungodly behavior, and instead of feeling conviction when they are brought into account, they say you are condemning me, truly a twisting of Scripture. The Apostle understood this mindset when he wrote, Should we sin that grace might abound? God forbid. Sin in our lives is something that breaks our heart, and we become contrite, like when Peter went out and wept bitterly. It's not something we justify. This Scripture is saying, If so be that, we are walking in the Spirit, then the Spirit of God dwells in us. It can also be read, If so be that, we are not walking in the Spirit, spirited as Christ, then the Spirit of God dwells not in you. Matthew Henry says it this way, The Spirit visits many, but He dwells, resides and rules in those that sanctify themselves. 1. They are spirited as Christ was, meek and lowly, humble and peaceable, patient and charitable. Our frame and disposition of soul must be conformed to Christ's pattern. 2. Are also activated and guided by the Spirit of God to be a sanctifier, to others, a teacher, to others, and a comforter, to others. They are led by the Spirit of God, having submitted themselves to His guidance in obeying and following it. A sanctified soul bears the image of God, as a child bears the image of the Father. All of this is contingent on Room 8 13. If you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, flesh. If we deny the fleshly desires, and walk as Christ did, we are sons of God. If we don't, then we're not, and His Spirit does not dwell in us. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin, that grace may abound? God forbid, Room 6 1. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? No, it is an abuse, and the Apostle startles at the thought of it. God forbid, be it far from us to think such a thought. It is to be rejected with the greatest abhorrence. Sanctification consists of two things, mortification and vivification, dying to sin and living to righteousness. Putting off the old man. For the Catholic Church to claim that they fill 13-year-old children with the Holy Spirit, by putting their hand on them and rubbing oil on their forehead is not only ludicrous to comprehend, but vehemently against all Scripture. Everything with them seems to be magical, far-fetched and against everything the Scriptures proclaim. This is, without a shadow of doubt, false doctrine. Mariology. Then one said unto him Jesus, Behold, thy mother, stand without, desiring to speak to thee. But he answered and said unto him, Who is my mother? And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples, and said, Behold, my mother and brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same as my brethren and mother, Mount 12 48 and 49. Christ was teaching his spiritual family when the interruption occurred, how he resented this interruption. He would not hearken to it, he was so intent upon his work, that no civil or natural respect should take him off from it. Who is my mother? He took that occasion to prefer those of his spiritual kindred, before his natural relations. So much for Mary being as important as Jesus, she wasn't even as important as the disciples. The mother of Jesus saith unto him, Jesus, 
they have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Matthew Henry. Jesus gave her a reprimand for it. The rebuke itself, Woman, what have I to do with thee? He calls her woman, not mother. It therefore bespeaks a resentment. He foresaw an idolatry that would give undue honor to the Virgin Mary, a crime which the Roman Catholics are notoriously guilty of when they call her the Queen of Heaven, the salvation of the world, their life and hope, not only depending on her merit and intercession, but by beseeching her to command her son to do them good. Woman, what have I to do with thee? This was plainly designed either to prevent or aggravate such gross idolatry, such horrid blasphemy. The Son of God is appointed our advocate with the Father, but the Mother of our Lord was never designed to be. So, it should be abundantly obvious, that most, if not all, of Catholic teaching is against Scripture, and at the same time mystical and magical and unexplainable. We are just supposed to believe it, because they made it up. Now you can see why I've felt lied to for all those years, because I was lied to. None of this is true, Mariology is against Scripture, which makes it false doctrine. I could go on and on, but why? If you still want to hold to these teachings believing they lead to eternal life, have at it. You can believe whatever you like. But that doesn't mean it's true. Good luck with that. God bless. Embrace true love.